It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I don't have a name for the Monday show yet here. Hey, did we call it? What did we call it last year? Mark it down Monday is the off season, like when we declare things. It was Monday Madness a year ago. Is that correct? What this Monday pod was? It was Monday Madness because I was writing that Monday Madness column for Mondays, but I am not doing that anymore. So it's up to you. We can keep that name. I don't know that it really fits, though. Yeah. How about Monday? Meh. You know, Monday madness. Just, just M E H. Just, eh. you know, we're tired. We're up till four or five in the morning. You know, it's not that our minds have completely changed about Ohio State since we last talked. I would like to say. So we're gonna do this each Monday. And people have said we got some feedback of like, hey, make sure like do that Monday pod again, like you guys did last year, because I think we hit some different things. And I think people liked it. So we are doing that. And the basis of this Monday pod is going to be it's me and Nathan. It's going to be an Ohio State segment. It's going to be a national segment, sort of how Ohio State fits in the national scene. But we'll talk about other teams. And then it's going to be what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking, which is just like a thought about anything in the world at the end. So it'll be a little nonsense little Ohio State context, and a little like sort of review look ahead. So we don't have a great name. We're really tired still as we record this on Sunday because the night games just destroy you. But that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start with an Ohio State conversation, Nathan. And there's two things of this that uh, there's a stat that I have, and there officially is my explanation of what that game was that I need to talk myself through. And it's this. And we were joking in the press box, Nathan, like, hey, what if we just wrote all all of our stories off the game that we just leaned even harder into the Kings of the North idea that everybody is just writing like, and then Ronnie Hickman, much like Jon Snow, came over with the sword, you know, just absolutely just annoyed people to no end with. And then Marcus Freeman as Ned Stark or whatever, whoever's what, just joking, just to just to ruin our thing. Because if you guys listened last week, we did a pod last Tuesday about the idea of Ohio State's trying to be the kings of the north. We did a three part series on that. And we said, hey, the reason we've been talking about this, when we finally did it is because this is a showdown to be the Kings of the North, because who's trying to take that crown away from Ohio State? It's Notre Dame. So there was a lot of conversation after that game, Nathan, about toughness and running the ball on defense. And this is where I am. This helped me. 
this game was a battle to defend the North. It was not a battle about how you look compared to the teams in the South. Because last year, the whole point is they couldn't defend the North and they never got to go against the South because they lost to Oregon. They lost to Michigan. This was a defend the North kind of game. But the the issue is that Nathan is week one is a show the world kind of weekend often against a lousy opponent. Cause guess who showed the world USC smoke and rice. Guess who showed the world Georgia dominating number 11, Oregon. Guess who showed the world Bryce young and Will Anderson do their thing against Utah state. So Ohio State against a much, much, much tougher opponent, which we all realize. But still within that, they didn't do their usual thing. They didn't do, they didn't, they weren't the army that they normally take out into the world. But they were an army that defended the North. And that helps me. It's like, oh, that's why we did this whole thing. And that, because I, a little of that toughness run the ball argument as we covered on the post-game pod. Listen, you did it in one quarter. A little of that goes a long way for me. But putting it in our lens helped me more. They defended the North, and then they can get down to the business of preparing themselves to go out into the world later. What do you think? I think that is a unique and uh, apt way to look at this. Uh, because I've been having the same problem i've been sort of trying to compartmentalize things and and come up with that sort of overarching concept of what that game meant and and what it means for the next 11 weeks or what it even means for the next like three weeks when they get to play wisconsin again and i had some good back and forth with some tech subscribers today who some of whom really kind of dig into the, Hey, it was the number five team in the country. Like uh, that's not an easy game. And, and Notre Dame played them well. And then other people who were a little bit more circumspect about it, a little people who people who were a little bit more um, um, looked at it more being like, Hey, they were favored by 17 points for a reason. Like, you know, that there's a, they should put that team away easier than that. And I, I think looking at it from your lens allows you to do both things it allows you to sort of say which you should be able to do anyway probably but you get to say yes there are things that have to be improved on but something was still conquered here something was still achieved here this wasn't just uh slipping past i mean this is not as like, go back to last season the the tulsa game where i famously brought up hey they're only up by whatever it was, one touchdown with four minutes to go or whatever. And like, they're really not putting away a very undermanned team. This is not comparable to that. Doing what they did yesterday to Notre Dame is much more of an accomplishment than that. So I think that that has to be remembered, that you can have a game that isn't your best game. And that doesn't mean that it is a harbinger of, of bad things to come because of the, the level of competitor you do it against. And I do think this idea that they defended the North in this game, however they needed to do it, it gains credence because they didn't last year. Last year's failures yep. add relevance to this success because, and I don't think we had this conversation in the off season, but is it, did they lower their standard by losing two regular season games last year, or maybe not lower the standard and maybe not lower the expectations because everybody all off season 
was talking about they're one of the two best teams in the country and everybody in the world picked them to go to the national title game. But maybe we take it a little less for granted than we did before, which again leads into why we did the series or why the series fit especially well is because there was a time when you took Ohio State being the Kings of the North for granted. And then all of a sudden, maybe you can't take that as much for granted. So it's more relevant to beat Notre Dame however you need to beat them. Because a lot of what we talk about and we'll continue to talk about and we'll never shy away from it, and I don't think our listeners want us to shy away from it, is does that beat Bama? And that was kind of the conversation. That was like almost the only conversation we had in the first two and a half years of Ryan Day, 1920, and at least until you lose to Oregon. Does that beat Bama? Does that beat Bama? Does that beat Bama? Well, all of a sudden, you have to ask, does that beat Oregon? Does that beat Michigan? Does that beat Notre Dame? Because, well, if you can't do that, you can't even get to Bama. So does last does Saturday night beat Bama? No, no, no. And we'll get to that in the national conversation. But that's not. That maybe that's not the conversation. And but the problem was Nathan. That's the con. As much as we did Kings North, that was the conversation all offseason. They're one of the two best teams. They have all these guys back. The defense is going to be better. Nobody. No, we were sort of back to assuming. So maybe Saturday night was a reminder. Don't assume. Maybe Saturday night was a reminder. Hey, a loss certainly would have screwed up your season. And so. Um, but that's only relevant because they allowed it to happen last year. So congratulations on the two losses last year, making your win to open 2022 look even better because at least you didn't lose because when losing is a, is a distant memory, what do you mean? What is it? We all, they almost lost. What does that even mean? I don't even remember what that feels like. Oh no. High state fans remember what that feels like. So then an 11 point win, when you took over on your five yard line in the fourth quarter up four. And if you had gone three and out, if your running back slips, if you get a false start, if you try to flip a little pass and the guy drops it, all of a sudden you're punting from your own end zone in the fourth quarter, only up four. That's what they were on the precipice of. And then they handled their business. That all seems a little bit better when you actually could have lost. And that's a very recent feeling that people remember, thanks to Oregon and Michigan. I mean, yeah, I mean, as we talked about last night, I mean, Notre Dame's in control of that game. I mean, they had to take the win away from Notre Dame. Notre Dame was headed towards winning the game, Ohio State had to go take that away from them. And uh, that's something to remember, too. And you can now now there's a whole other argument like, well, you shouldn't have been in position to be losing that game at home, whatever. But like they got it done. And I think some of the the consternation that fans have had has been because we talked about last night, the offensive side of things being less crisp. But if Ohio State had won that game last night, like 45 to 41, like fans, do you think fans would be more excited about their how? No, how no, they be more worried. To beat Alabama. They'd be more worried, be more worried. because yeah. now I think you almost look at it as in, well, there was one big fear and one big certainty, and the fear is a lot less fearful now. The defense looked really strong, and I think I I, I stand by the offensive limitations that Notre Dame has, and we knew that they had coming into that game, but that side of the ball looks like it is either repaired or being quickly repaired and then on the offensive side the thing that you know is a certainty I think you still think that is a certainty if if Jackson Smith and Jigba is healthy and if you're uh, you know if you take what Notre Dame did against you and scheme in the future to uh, to account for that so I, I 
think if if the if the measure is whether that beats Bama, I think you're right. I think it doesn't. We'll talk about that more. But I think it might give you um more um more um confidence that they can beat Bama down the line than if they'd had to win in a shootout. So let me do one more Kings of the North thing. Maybe we're again, maybe this is maybe we're helping HBO. Okay, so in the north, the whole thing with the north guys, north folk is they don't have dragons, right? They're in the north. They have they wear pelts. They have those uh, pointy balls with spikes on them that you swing around, right? I don't know. They have that. They have that 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 young woman who who sneaks up on people. They, that like they can sneak up on people. They don't have a dragon, but like they can hide behind a skinny tree and sneak up on you. So that's what they do in the north. The one thing about Ohio State is last year, even though they were the kings of the north, they did have three dragons. And guess what? Nobody in the North has dragons because guess where the dragons live? The dragons live in the South and you've got to get them to come to the North. This is the whole thing. So they had three dragons at the beginning of the year. They had two big dragons and a baby dragon. And then the baby dragon grew up. And then the baby dragon was as fearsome as the, now I'm telling a bedtime story. And then the baby dragon was as fearsome as the other two dragons. So then you had three fearsome dragons. And then for this year, two of the dragons flew away and went to live somewhere else. And you thought, okay, we're a little nervous about that, but we still have it. We still have one dragon. And then when it was time for the battle, that dragon hurt its hamstring. And then then you were like, Oh, Oh, we went, we knew we were losing two. Now we're down to zero. Now we just have to hit people in the head with pointy balls. And now we just have to sneak up on people and stab them in the kidneys. So then that's what they had to do. So you weren't expecting that, but you did find a way to win. So let me talk about dragons. Now, this is my stats. Jim Knowles, again, talked about this after the game. He said, he says to his defensive players, five or less, and they say undefeated. And I swear to God, and I waited after the game, after Jim Knowles said that in the press conference, I waited by the bus after the game to confirm with him what he meant by that. And Nathan, you do not know how difficult it was for me to say five or less. Actually, it should be five or fewer. But I did not think that would aid the interview. <laughs> do you think that was a good way, good job by me to hold back on the grammatical correction of the $2 million a year head coach of the defense? I, I do, because uh, regardless of his Cornell education and his mad professor, his intellectual reputation, he is still a capital F, capital C football coach. Yeah. And I don't think he would have looked upon this little pipsqueak correcting his grammar uh, favorably. He is still a capital F, capital Illy from Philly. So shut yep. your pie hole, eh, Maurice. So I didn't say it because I've learned. Been married for 25 years. You learn not to say things. But I double checked. You mean, you mean, if you give up less than five, five or less explosive plays, you will win. That's what you mean by that. He said, yeah, like you're undefeated. And then he had said in the news conference, but with Ohio State's offense, you maybe could give up seven or eight and still win, which was his nod to like this, you know, now I'm coaching a defense with an offense that's so good. I said, what do you mean? What's your definition of explosive plays? He said, running plays of 12 yards or more, passing plays of 20 yards or more. Nathan, last night, do you want to know how many explosive plays Notre Dame's offense had and how many explosive plays Ohio State's offense had by Jim Knowles' metric? And I'm, I think that's a metric that most coaches use. 12 yards or more in a rush, 20 yards or more in a pass play. I'm try- I, I cited 
I may have cited the Notre Dame side of this. It's either four or five because they had, I think they had four pass plays of 22 yards or more because their passing tended to come in those chunks. They weren't just like scooting around. It was, they were getting them in these bigger chunks. Yep. It and then none on the ground. They had two on the ground. They did. Okay. They had, but you are right on the pass plays. They had four pass plays. They had the 54 yarder off the jump from Lorenzo Styles, first play of the game. They had uh, the 31 yarder where the guy like bobbled it and then caught it on his back. That was a little bit of a miracle catch. That actually was a huge play in their only touchdown drive. Then they had a 22 yarder and a 32 yarder. The 32 yarder was the deep ball was just a straight up nice deep ball where the guy beat the coverage and dove and caught it. And the the 22 yarder, I can't exactly remember. I think that might've been one in the middle of the field. I think Um, that was the one to where uh, Michael Mayer was matched up with Cam Brown and that didn't go well. And then Brown and then Mayer's running across the middle of the field. uh, That was was 17. That was, it wasn't Mayer. Okay. But that was, so they had another, they had four of 22 or more and another 17. So it was basically their whole offense. And so they had, and then they had a 12 yard Tyler Buckner run and they had a 14 yard Chris Tyree run. So okay. the, the runs aren't super duper explosive, but they hit the gym null special. So six overall for Notre Dame. Guess how many Ohio State had? They had a handful on the ground, at least. I'm going to say eight. Six, three mm-hmm. passing, three running. The three running were all late. There were two right. Mayan Williams ones on the icing touchdown drive. He had a 15-yarder and a 12-yarder. And then on their last last drive, when they were really just putting it away, Travion Henderson had a 12-yard run. So they didn't have any explosive run plays until the last half of the fourth quarter. And they only had three explosive pass plays. They had the Emekegbuka 31-yard touchdown, which is an eight-yard out, and the corner takes a horrible angle. I actually think... CJ, he didn't double clutch, but he hesitated just enough. I think he threw the corner off. I almost think maybe the corner thought he was going to jump the route, and CJ saw it, anticipated it, held it for a nanosecond, changed the timing of the route, and opened the window for Egbuka to catch that and turn up field and get a 31-yard touchdown. So that's like a 31-yard touchdown, but I don't know. Like it did, it was kind of like it was an eight-yard route and then just like a bad, a bad angle. Then they had a 21-yarder to Marvin Harrison Jr., which was just as like a sideline out route on third and three. Notre Dame dropped nine, only rushed two. And even in dropping nine, they left a window for Marvin Harrison Jr. And as much as we talked about, hey, did the did guy settle in spots and give C.J. throwing lanes on that play? He did. And C.J. hit him. And it was one of those 21-yard pass plays that Ohio State has done in the Ryan Day era that looks as easy as a five-yard pass play. And it's like that was the easiest 21 yards I ever saw anybody gain because it's just a receiver that everybody's scared of and a quarterback with the arm strength to throw a sideline ball and it's free money. It was almost a free money 21 yarder. And then there was the 24 yard touchdown pass to Xavier Johnson. Those are the only three explosive passing plays they had only three in the game. Notre Dame had more. Notre Dame had more explosive passing plays overall. It was six to six a year ago, Nathan, and this is just convenient on cfbstats.com. They have long plays from scrimmage, rushing and passing, and they mm-hmm. break it down in 10-yard increments, 10 plus, 20 plus, 30 plus. So you can't do the 12-yard Jim Knowles thing there, but you can do the 20-yard pass play, Jim Knowles definition. A year ago, Ohio State ranked fifth in the nation in passing plays of 20 yards or more. They had 72 in 13 games. Western Kentucky was first. Western Kentucky was nuts. They were doing old air raid stuff with Bailey Zappi. They were like really, they weren't playing like real college football. No offense to them, but there's no sense comparing. Bama was second. Bryce Young. 
Pitt was third, Kenny Pickett. Virginia was fourth, Brennan Armstrong. That's just like good passing games, good quarterbacks. Ohio State with C.J. Stroud was fifth. 72 and 13 games at 5.5 per game. Now, clearly they had some games where they had more than that, right? They had more than that against Utah, I'm assuming. They had more than that against Michigan State, I'm assuming, right? But 5.5 per game, fifth in the nation, to come out in week one and have three, and even the three. So in the end, this again is affecting my perception, and we're going to get to the national conversation in a little bit. You flip on some of the other national games, there's a great athlete making a huge play. There's a great athlete making a huge play. Like, what was Ohio State's best? No, no turnovers, either team. So turnovers are exciting. They had three sacks, two by a linebacker, one by a defensive tackle. So like Tommy Eichenberg sliced through a gap and got a sack in an important spot. But they didn't have a moment. You know, you, you turn on Alabama and Will Anderson's just like running past the guy on the edge and getting the quarterback. They didn't have that. They didn't have like the three. So the three pass plays that existed, one was a normal 21-yarder, one was an eight-yard pass that turns into a 31-yard touchdown, and one's a walk-on down the seam. It's not exactly a Chris Olave deep ball. The air yards for C.J. Stroud last night, I think I would be I – got, I got to find. Like I'm sure they weren't very big compared to normal when you have an eight-yard out turn into a 31-yard touchdown. And then he had the two, the two C.J. throws that we talked about at length on the post-game pod that we don't have to cover again, but he had the one to mine and the one to Mecca where he buys time. He rolls out, you know, the, the receivers dancing on the sideline, toe taps, and they make a great play. That's a great play, but they didn't have as many exciting show your athleticism plays as they normally do, Nathan. And that's part of it for me. That's because we're so used to it. And when you say, show me, not just CJ Stroud, show me Ohio state's best play. Let's play the highlight game. They're, that's not, they weren't up to their typical standard. Of course, the competition had something to do with that. Of course, no Jackson Smith and Jigba had something to do with that. But I'm realizing that affected my perception of the game. Well, and it's why I think I like your overall King of the North analogy. I don't like the dragon analogy, though, because those aren't the only dragons Ohio State has. CJ Stroud's a dragon. Trevor Van Henderson's a dragon. Paris Johnson's supposed to be a dragon. Like, there's supposed to be dragons all over this offense. And, yes, they missed the two that, that moved on from last year. There were supposed to be some other baby dragons. And as we mentioned, Jackson Smith Jigba didn't have some amazing debut last year, like two catches against Minnesota, blew up in the second week. But, like, we thought that some somebody else, even if, even if Jackson Smith Jigba has to come out of the game, the Ohio State, uh, standard isn't that well then you're now you're just down to ordinary guys yeah the Ohio not- state standard is you're just down to like the next best kind of dragon but it's still a dragon sir the dragon's sick well then give me the other dragon we don't have any other dragons here's a donkey now i, I got into shrek a little bit there like that's not how it's supposed to go it's like bring me the next dragon that's why we have all those eggs and you put them in the fire and dragons pop out, turn on the microwave and make me a dragon. This is not a donkey offense except Ryan day after the game. And now, now I'm not, I mean, it's, it's not a sled dog offense, right? Except Ryan day last night was like, yeah, baby sled dogs. (laughs) And it was like, okay, but like, remember the dragons, where are the dragons? That's, that's the thing. But but here but here's the other reason why the perception is off is because we saw bring me another dragon last year 
we saw it in the Rose Bowl. Like those two guys leave, like well, bring me two more dragons, and it's 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 Marvin Harrison and it's Emeka Ibuka, and stuff is still blowing up. And the difference here is that Utah was not playing with Notre Dame defensive backs. Notre Dame was playing with Notre Dame defensive backs. And I think that we'll probably, as we examine this game further, I think that will, would probably show up. Ohio State tied for 64th in the nation right now with a passing plays of 20 yards or more with their three. Notre Dame tied for 44th with their four passing plays of 20 yards or more. Georgia on Saturday had nine. USC on Saturday had seven. And again, that's Georgia against the Georgia comparison. Actually, you can't back away from it's like Oregon probably might be as good as Notre Dame and Georgia made them look silly. USC played rice. Rice stinks. So USC had seven against rice. Ohio state had three against Notre Dame. It's like, well, actually, which one of those is better? I, I mean, you can make a case for three against Notre Dame. So, but I'm just saying that's, that's a little bit of this. That's a little bit of this. So we'll ask Ryan day about this on Tuesday, right? I mean, like we have, we have all this to take in. Let's do a tiny scooch bit on Arkansas State because on this Monday pod, Nathan, we do want to start to look ahead a little bit. Week two opponent, Arkansas State blew out Hugh Jackson and Grambling State on Saturday. Again, I didn't realize it. I knew Hugh Jackson, the former Browns coach, had gone to college. I knew it was at Grambling State. I didn't know Grambling State was playing Arkansas State to open the season. They did. I don't think they did either. (laughs) There was no – it was not a game. I think Hugh Jackson is a bad football coach if anybody has ever read or heard me talk about the Browns before. That's not what this is about. It's just weird, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. It's like, hey, Arkansas State. Normally, nobody in Ohio would care about them. And it's like the one time you care about them, it's like, ah, who are they playing? They're playing Hugh Jackson. And I was like, I I can't get away from Hugh. I cannot escape him. Brian Sneed did play. I think he had 12 for 50 or 60 yards. They played multiple running backs, but he was one of them. This is Brian Sneed, who was a top 100 recruit in the class of 2018 for Ohio State had uh, off-the-field accusations of sexual misconduct that led to his dismissal from the team. He had gone on to junior college. I think he was at Austin P last year, and now he has he is at Arkansas State, uh, which I had been told a while ago was going to happen, and it, it did happen kind of late in the preseason. But he's in the game plan, Nathan, and you had written a story about this last week. Brian Sneed's going to be in the shoe getting the ball against the Buckeyes on Saturday. Yeah, um, sort of an awkward thing for everyone involved, uh, I guess. I mean, it's a guy who <laughs> I, I it's I don't know what do you want to even say about it. A guy who, who then went on and has done other things. I mean, he's got a couple degrees at Austin P, um, and is 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 moving on with his life, and and just kind of odd that it has brought it back to Ohio State. And, you know, I'm sure that. He's not going to be granting any interviews this week about it, but I'm wondering if there's a reason why he picked Arkansas State or if, if it was just the best fit, yeah, the I best it, opportunity he had. I think it's fit. You know, Butch Jones, uh, former coach at Tennessee, former coach at Cincinnati, um, has been around. You know, I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they took a lot of transfers. Their quarterback at Arkansas State is James Blackman, who once upon a time was the starting quarterback at Florida State. He had a pretty good game on Saturday. And you guys can go back. if you Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can, I, I think you can do a search for old podcasts. And if you put in Arkansas State, I imagine that the Buckeye talk that I did with Mitchell Gladstone, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Arkansas State beat writer over the summer will pop up. So Brian Sneed wasn't on the roster then, but a lot of other guys were. They do have some transfers. Again, that's one of those things. Hey, 
you're playing this team. I don't know much about them. They have a bunch of dudes who started so started out at big time programs and have now kind of worked their way down to Arkansas State. I mean, Michigan got a sack from the guy on Saturday who like has started Alabama and kind of had this winding road and showed up at Michigan like two weeks ago and got a sack. So sometimes guys have sort of unusual paths, but it doesn't mean they aren't don't still have some football talent. So we're not we're just not. Um, we're not going to have like an in-depth, like what actually happened with Brian Sneed situation, because like, it's just, we're not prepared to have that kind of discussion here. You guys can look that up online. There has been some reporting on it, but it's, you know, that's, that has happened. His, his story at Ohio state, we're not making uh short shrift of it. We're not making light of it. We're not, you know, it's, it's a serious situation, but also he has gone on and done these other things and, you know, he's not in the end criminally charged. And so, that's the situation. He's going to be playing football in Ohio Stadium. You probably remember his name. That'll be Arkansas State on Saturday. When we come back, we'll get into the national segment of this. You got one more thing? I, I just want to say real quick that the Arkansas State defensive coordinator is Rob Harley. Oh, I'm um, writing about him for Monday. Um, great nephew of Chick Harley and was played at Ohio State as a, a walk-on. People probably remember. Was on Michigan State staff as a GA a, a little bit after that. Uh, but Grambling against that defense ran uh, that offense ran 51 plays and barely got 100 yards. Wow. So a good a good first game for Rob Harley's defense. And you've talked to Rob Harley, right? Yep. Is Rob fired up? Is he trying to beat? You know, we just had a former Buckeye come in, and Marcus Freeman tried to downplay right. it. Um, did Rob Harley try to downplay it? Or when you're when you're Arkansas State and not Notre Dame, can you be like, yeah, man, it's cool. Well, you know, it's it's the second year for him there. You know, Butch Jones took over last year, and he left a, a good situation at Pitt to go there and become the, the defensive coordinator. And he's made a, a pretty quick climb to get to that in some ways. And uh, for him, I think that, there, you know, it, it's an interesting dichotomy because he loves college football in part and loves football in general because of this family legacy that was always there for him. And so to be coming back to Ohio stadium is special. Like he has memories of being at the 95 Notre Dame game and uh, being at a Rose bowl um, in like 1985 or whatever. But the, you know, <laughs> this is like their one chance to sort of try to prove themselves in some way at this level. And I, I don't think he's going to be very caught up in the pageantry of it. I think he's going to be caught up more in the how do we possibly not get beat by the 44 and a half points that they're uh, an underdog by on Saturday. You know what? Get get caught up in the pageantry because, like, it's not really up to you if you're going to get beat by yeah. 44. And a half. Uh, so he was like a trestle guy who went to Michigan State as a D'Antonio guy and then became a Narduzzi guy. So when Pat Narduzzi went to Pitt, Rob Harley went to Pitt with him. And now he's sort of out on his own uh, as a defensive coordinator at Arkansas state. All right. When we come back national scene, how's Ohio state fit in next on Buckeye talk. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Doug and Nathan back. You can be a tech subscriber, 614-350-3315. You can read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU after every game the next morning. Nathan and Stephen always have observations about the game. And then, uh, for instance, you can read this, this Rob Harley story that will be dropping on Monday. Nathan, it's a, it's a different week with the AP ballot because we're recording this Sunday night. Normally, your ballot will have been due. Uh, by like, is it 11 a.m. or noon on Sunday, typically, that it's due? Um, due by 11. I usually post it at noon. And then it's released. So usually we'll be talking about what the rankings are because they'll be out by Sunday. They're not this week because as we record, LSU and Florida State are playing Sunday night. And then there's this ACC primetime Labor Day game that every Ohio State fan should remember because in 2015 at Virginia Tech, when Virginia Tech as an ACC team own the TV rights to that. That's why Ohio State played on Labor Day on a Monday night in 2015, and it screwed up their season because they had a short week. They came back in week two. Cardale, after playing pretty well in the opener, was kind of screwed up. Their whole offense was screwed up because they had a short week because you play Monday night on the road, and then you have to come back and play Saturday. You're playing two days later, like two and a half days later. If you're used to like a, an afternoon game on Saturday, you're playing and, on, and you're on the road, then you got to come back and get ready. And then they had a jacked up game. And then like Cardale got yanked and like it led to the beginning of the quarterback controversy that screwed up their season. So thank the ACC for that. Clemson's playing in that game against Georgia Tech on Monday night. Do you blame the ACC for that? Like, I mean, no, it's, it's the, 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 you're, you're willingly entering these contracts. Uh, so. No, but it's one of those things. I mean, it's like, hey, when they signed that deal with with Virginia Tech, I think they signed it in 99. I don't think that like the Monday night ABC game on Labor Day probably didn't exist. But once you sign it, hey, at our home game, our TV people say when to play it. Your home game, your TV people say when to play it. But the only conference that plays a primetime game on Labor Day night is the ACC and the defending national champions had to go play that game on the road to open the next season and with the most talented offensive roster potentially in Ohio State history, it's the spin move game. And We, did, spin, it. we did it for the rewatchables. The spin move was great. The fallout of the spin move game was a missed dynasty because the short week begat the quarterback controversy. It's I'm just saying, out. like, it wasn't gonna. I'm not saying it would have been perfect anyway, but they had a bad offensive game, and Cardale took the blame, and they reacted in that way. When I think the the biggest reason they were clunky offensively is because they had a weird, like, as weird. It's just if you're not in the MAC, Nathan, if you're not playing Wednesdays at dinner time for dinner time with the MAC, hump day dinner time with the MAC, or whatever the MAC needs to do to get on TV. This is Ohio State. TV networks come, they, they televise Ohio State whenever. They had to play at 8 o'clock on a Monday. It's insane. 
as the defending national champs. It's their fault. They had it and they blew it. But it's weird. They should pay the players. But it's weird, right? Isn't it weird? It's, it's weird. two it's, and a half days later than a normal game. It's weird, but it's also weird to me that as many lawyers as every athletic department involves in all the decisions they make, even in 1999, somebody maybe should have just snuck that into the contract. Like, must be played, be, must kick off before 8.01 p.m. Eastern time, something like that. And maybe that's what they say now. It wouldn't surprise me. That's one of those things where, like, it sets a precedent. You're like, that ain't happening again. I'll also be, and I don't know this off the top of my head. Gene Smith didn't love that this Notre Dame game was the opener. I think when you schedule Notre Dame, it's, you know, you got to work a little bit because their whole schedule is independent. So they're slotting all kinds of other stuff in. Again, the game next year is not the opener. Gene didn't want this to be the opener. He tried to get it to not be the opener and had to be the opener as it turned out. And if they had played Arkansas, if Ohio State had played Arkansas State week one, Notre Dame week two, who knows what could have been different. It is. Other teams have done it. Kickoff classic back in the day. I get it. It is It is tough. It is tough, I think. I think ideally, most, you know, Oregon last year's week two. And what happened? They lost. Okay. There goes that argument. Right. But again, it is just, a, it's a little bit different when you don't. And like, this is why, this is why Ryan Day with NFL experience, like likes the idea of exhibition games or some kind of preseason, something, whatever, where you don't go from against ourselves only for eight months to a top five opponent in game one. I was thinking about that, the the Ryan Day NFL mindset when I was thinking back to that that uh, that press conference last night, because I think you saw some of that come out like that was just that was the that was the way an NFL coach would talk about winning any game in some ways. Like, yeah, it was it was tough. And we found a way, you know what I mean? Like there's no such thing as a bad win in the NFL in some ways, even if you're the Patriots and you're playing an 0 and 10 team and you only win by a touchdown, you're like, I don't know what to tell you. It's the NFL. We'll figure, we'll do better next week. Yeah. All right. So your ballot, have you worked on your ballot or are you just waiting because you have the time? I haven't yet. It it was going to, it's going to be one of the things I do um, on Monday just because I have that extra time this week. But um it, I mean, I, I, I've been going back and forth in my head about those top three spots. And I actually even had this back and forth going on with the tech subscribers. And I sent them a thing just, hey, just so you know, there is no AP poll until Tuesday. And I still don't know what I'm doing with those top three spots. And I had a bunch of people respond. And the opinions were all over the place. There were people who were like, how can you not think about moving Ohio State up? They beat the number five team in the country. Alabama and, and, and Georgia didn't – like Oregon's fake good and Alabama beat nobody. And there's other people who are like, did you see the Alabama-Georgia games? Like what are you even talking about? Like how are those not the two best teams in the country? So I did a poll because it would be Buckeye talk without a poll. And I'm going to get the updated. These are going to be slightly different than what we texted out. But pretty votes are basically the same. So I asked, setting aside your OSU fandom momentarily and voting objectively, how would you rank these three teams after one game? And I gave the scores. Alabama beat Utah State 55 nothing. Georgia beat number 11, Oregon 49-3. to Ohio State beat number 5, Notre Dame 21-10. to I thought there would be, even if I said setting aside your OSU fandom, there might be some of that pro-defense sentiment, the pro-number 5 team in the country sentiment that the pro missing Jackson Smith and Jigba sentiment. And I think all those three of those things are legitimate that would have pulled Ohio state farther up and Ohio state was third. 
by the consensus of 550 votes now. Was Bama clearly won or was it close with Bama and Georgia? Georgia was number one. Good for them. Average, average 1.59. Alabama, number two, 1.99. Ohio State, third, 2.42. And it's really – that's that's clear separation, really, that's not of close. all three of those. Georgia had more number one votes than Alabama and Ohio State combined. Ohio State had um, – What is more... up, Texters? Bring that. Awesome Ohio... job. Ohio State had more number three votes than it had firsts and seconds combined. Only 40 first place votes out of 550 for Ohio State. I would vote Georgia one. And watching Georgia, are you going to vote Georgia one possibly? That's where I've been leaning the more I think about it. I think then my question becomes between Alabama and Ohio State. So it's hard because like resume voting, hey, who beat number five? I test, it's not close. So, um, I'm a resume voter, but I, you know, you can leave wiggle room within that. Well, but I think Georgia's both Georgia's resume and eye test. Yeah. And I think exactly that clearly won. And I, I was, I've been having, it's been an interesting <laughs> exchanges on the text because I'll, I'll say one person will say, well, I think it should be this way. And I'll be like, yeah, and here's why, or, but have you thought about this way? And then the next person will say the opposite. And I'll say, yeah, here's why. Or have you thought about this? Like you, I, it, you can make an argument. I can make you can make a strong argument. I think I don't know if there's a wrong answer between Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia getting a number one vote this week. If you thought Alabama was the best team in the country coming into the season, and you thought, well, I mean, they, if they're playing Utah State, I mean, they should win that game like fifty nine to nothing, fifty five to nothing, and just pulverize them in every way. And then they did it. Like they 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 met the pulverization standard, and that's the only game that they've had to play. So it's. I, I am I agree with the resume voting uh, approach, but it's it gets much easier when there are more when there are longer resumes. It, it it's it, when it's only a short resume, I think it's tough. But it what I think changed it for me was stop thinking about who is number one in the country. You you still think that those three teams are a tier unto themselves. So just vote for those three teams by what they've done so far, who they've beaten so far. And there, I think, this is where the separation is. That's a good way. Almost like I test talent-based tiers, resume within the tiers. Exactly. Resume within the tiers, I think, is exactly yeah. the way to do it. You might have invented it even a more nuanced way of voting, Nathan. Tell everybody but to then, vote the Nathan Baird way. But then where, how, so then where would you vote between Alabama and Ohio State? I am so beholden to my resume voting, I'd have a really hard time. But honestly, 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 I think I'd put Ohio State third based on the fact that um, I just thought Bama did whatever they wanted to do. And Utah State's not Rice, right? So, and Utah exactly. State's not Notre Dame. They're not. They're not. But I, th- I think I probably would have Ohio State third. But no, no lower than that. And I wouldn't care what Clemson did against Georgia Tech, and I wouldn't care what USC did against Rice. You know, no lower than third for Ohio State, because beating the number five team in the country is something. But you also can't buy in the – how could Ohio State beat the number five team in the country and drop? It's like, because they can't, because they live in context, because they don't live in a vacuum. So like, that's not it. And if you're going to, there's a chance that Ohio State is going to be third. Please like, don't spend a lot of time with your coworkers and your friends and your family saying, how could they beat the number five team and drop? Because they can, because the number three team blew the doors off the number 11 team and now deserves to be ahead of Ohio State. So just, 
nuance your discussion a, 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 a tiny bit to understand that it is possible to quote drop after beating the number five team in the country. Watching them, I watched a chunk of Bam. I watched a chunk of Georgia. Georgia set up a lot of like easy throws for Stetson Bennett, but he looked completely in the troll in control, making those easy throws. Guys running open, guys catching balls and doing stuff with it. Brock Bowers, great tight end, looked like it. Darnell Armstrong, their second tight end, looks like he's as big as Paris Johnson and is hurtling people after he catches the ball. And then the defense for Georgia looks like, oh, wait, they only have three starters back. Nobody's missed. They had, they had a true freshman in Malachi Starks make a make an interception on a deep ball that was one of the best interceptions that you're going to see in college football this year. You know, and again, not that Notre Dame took shots like that, but like they're as good as Ohio State's defense played. Like the Ohio State's defense was like really sound and plugged gaps, right? But they didn't. I mean, there weren't a lot of spectacular plays because most of the time they were just kind of like holding them down, right? It wasn't a knockout punch by Ohio state, it was almost like a chokehold, like, like an MMA kind of move, right. Where you, you put the guy to sleep and Georgia's running around throwing haymakers and they threw haymakers last year. And guess what? They're still throwing haymakers Bama. It's like, go back, go back and watch the Bama rep where they somehow leave Will Anderson unblocked. And he eats a a running back (laughs) after they, they hand the ball, the running back, the running back has it for 0.1 seconds. And he's consumed by Will Anderson. Watch Will Anderson bend on the edge. And then it's like, JT Tumaloa and Zach Harrison are great. That was not happening in Ohio Stadium on Saturday, what Will Anderson was doing for Alabama. And Bryce Young, complete control. It's Utah State, but Bryce Young, complete control in the pocket. Bing, bang, boom. CJ's best stuff was kind of out of nowhere. You know, Bryce Young had a play where he scrambled and ran for his first down. CJ's not going to do that, but CJ had plays where he scrambled and threw sideline tiptoe passes for first down. So CJ did make some plays. But the thing, again, back to Ohio State, the best part about CJ is when CJ looks like he's like playing a video game, operating a joystick. Like I could do this all day. I don't care what they do. I'm in control. We did not, that was not the best of CJ in that. It was playmaking at times, but Bryce, Bryce is all of it against Utah State, against Utah State, against Utah State complete control when he was in there. So I just thought Bama and Georgia looked next level. USC put up a bunch of points watching part of the Michigan game live in the press box. Cause I saw, I got to Ohio stadium so early have some dudes that got after the passer. Again, it's Colorado state. Doesn't mean they're Aiden Hutchinson. I think the quarterback thing is going to be a problem for them because Cade McNamara after the game basically said, this is a problem. I didn't think I was in a competition. They've got to be really careful. Because you can ruin a good roster after a successful season if you dork around with this. And Ohio State in 2015 is the example. Jim Harbaugh needs to learn from that. Cade McNamara is going to start against Hawaii. They have to get this figured out, Nathan. I truly believe that. J.J. McCarthy is going to start against. I'm sorry. J.J. McCarthy is going to start against Hawaii. Cade McNamara started against Colorado State. They have to figure it out. And. Maybe Harbaugh is just going to – I think he kind of said, I'm going to take two games, and then we'll see what happens in week three. But the fact that the veteran returning starter publicly said, like, ah, this is not what I was expecting, shows you that it's a real deal. So Harbaugh absolutely has to manage that. And if he screws this up, it's on Harbaugh. Just like in 2015, it was on Urban. Urban screwed that up. Now, Tim Beck helped him. They missed Tom Herman in the decision-making. Ed Warner helped him. Urban's the head coach of that team, and Urban screwed that up. And – just like when they had lost Tom Herman, Jim Harbaugh lost his offensive coordinator. Now, the, the quarterback's coach is the co-coordinator, Matt Weiss. That helps, right? 
But when Urban was trying to figure out 15, he's trying to bounce it off Tim Beck and Ed Warner. And Tim Beck's like, I just got here. I don't know. So, like, absolute, that's an alert. Like, C.J. Stroud not looking at as an, like an A+, plus, not an alert. Michigan potentially screwing up its season because they're dorking around with the quarterbacks. That's absolutely an alert to me, Nathan. Well, so here's one. There's one way it can work, I think. We talked in the preseason about just how abysmal this Michigan non-conference schedule is. You're not exposing yourself very much. Hawaii is kind of garbage right now. So if you think you've got 1A, 1B, and they're essentially equal, I guess I don't really have a problem with giving them each a game and saying, like, this is an extension of camp. This is extension of competition, although it probably does help if you're up front more, I guess, with the with the returning starter that it is a competition. But you give them the two games, and then you make a call. You pick a starting quarterback. And you make it clear that this is our guy. Barring injury or barring, like, extended problems, this is our starter, whether that's McNamara or McCarthy. And they could go back to doing what they did with McCarthy last year with packages and, and opportunities late in the game, I suppose. I, I saw this happen play out at Purdue early in Jeff Brom's career. I know people hate when I bring up Purdue examples, but you have the, the Ohio State example. There was an example with, with Purdue where like they had David Blau and Elijah Sendelar, and both of those guys could never be comfortable because they knew – any interception might mean the other guy is coming in and now he's the quarterback and you can't go forward like that. You can't have guys walking on eggshells because you can't effectively play quarterback. If you're fearing for your job to that extent, yes, there has to be a standard of play that you have to live up to, but it can't be that there's always, you're going to get whiplash from a, a impulsive coach making a decision in the middle of a game. So, I don't really have a problem with what Harbaugh is doing as long as they come out of this Hawaii game and his next media availability, whatever they have Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, whatever he says, quarterback X is our starter. He is our starter this week. He's our starter the week after that. He is our starting quarterback period. So Ohio state week two of 2015 Cardale starts not great. Little off couple fumbles. They wind up putting JT in for in the second quarter and JT Barrett plays a bunch in that game uh, in that 2015 game. I'm looking at the box score right now. Ohio State wound up winning 38 to nothing. So it was like sort of a convincing win, but they scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. It was 14 nothing at halftime in the game. Cardell Jones, 12 of 18 for 111. JT Barrett, 8 of 15 for 70. 38 nothing, but it got weird in week two, right? It was weird in week two. You know who Ohio State played? Hawaii. <laughs> Watch out, Jim. Don't be suckered by the allure of the rainbows. It'll seem like you can win no matter what, but they'll lull you to sleep and then they'll drown you in the ocean. Be careful, Jim. Learn from Ohio State. When we come back, what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Nathan Baird, do you have time to watch anything lately? What you watching? The past week has actually not been great for my watching because there's a big game going on and some other things happening. But recently you sent me a text about something else and you referenced the the show Succession. And it reminded me, oh man, I'm a season behind on Succession. So like the weekend before like a weekend ago, I got back into Succession and started watching, I guess what is what, the third season of that? And yeah, I think uh, that's right. Man, it's the the two things that jump out to me about Succession. Uh, number one is I think it might be there's there's like two kind of classes of, of of TV theme songs, and like on one side you've got like Cheers, like the sitcom side of thing, the classic sitcom um, theme songs. So like Cheers, Sanford and Son. There's a lot of Mash. There's like a lot of great ones. I'd you'd probably put Friends in there, I suppose. Um, and then, but on like the drama side, I think the Succession theme song intro song is like the best drama intro song it like sets the tone for that show in a perfect way oh yeah 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 right it goes uh it goes right that's the okay that one's pretty good too actually no that is a different succession succession to the throne um the succession one is a little bit more like uh oh wait 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 it's like a little bit more modernist yeah you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have. Is that the one? Yeah. Oh, no, it's, this one. It's this. <laughs> That's in um, the first category I was talking about. Sometimes the world looks perfect. Nothing to rearrange. Sometimes you just get a feeling like you need some kind. That's the best theme song ever. Perfect Strangers is my favorite show of all time. So oh, um, I didn't know that one. I did not watch. I didn't. We had, growing up, we only had like, you could get NBC and CBS pretty good where we were. The ABC was really sketchy. So all those like ABC wow. shows, it was, it was the cornfields of Illinois in like 1986. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Though. It wasn't the thirties. It was 1986. Listen, wow. like the, 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 there were TV stations in that had like champagne broadcasts for CBS and NBC, but to get ABC, you had to hope like all the way to like Decatur came in. It was it was tough, man. So like all those like there's a lot of 80s stuff from that was like ABC things that I just didn't have. And that really led all the way up into like the, the 90s before we got cable. Like I was just the ABC stuff. I didn't. And I'm pretty sure Perfect Strangers was ABC, right? Oh, yeah. It's part of like the family. Uh, the Family Matters like uh, she the mom on Family Matters worked in the worked at the at where Balky and Larry oh, worked okay. and she got her, they got her own show off of that. I would like, I could see someone doing a documentary about the lost generation of uh, the Beanfield people of Illinois who couldn't watch ABC and those sitcoms. And it's called who's Urkel. And it's, they just go and interview all these people who have <laughs> gone this far in their lives without knowing the existence of the character Urkel because they couldn't get the Decatur signal all the way in the Beanfield. By the time Urkel 
and um, Full House and those sort of things came along. We had we had caught up. We were getting better okay. signal, but but like early like early mid eighties stuff, it was tough to get ABC. So like I watched like I grew up on like Dukes of Hazard, Incredible Hulk, and like the CBS stuff, and like all those various NBC things. But like ABC was like it was, I didn't really get it. it was uh was Greatest American Hero was that ABC also? Because that was like a show that I like. That's a great thing. Walking on air. Uh, I didn't watch that one a lot. Guy had curly hair though. Uh, okay, so you're watching that. I'm watching White Lotus, which is an old, like, mm. was on like last year on HBO. And I'm just saying it's a limited series and it's annoying the bejesus out of me because if you <laughs> yep. haven't watched it yet, in the, in the first week, in the first minute of the first episode, it's like, hey, I was on my honeymoon and somebody at the hotel died. And then they say a week earlier. And then the whole show is a week earlier. And it's just a meandering nothing with annoying people. And the only reason you want to keep watching is because you want to find out who died. And I hope it's Sydney Sweeney because she's the most annoying teenager <laughs> that I've ever seen on a screen in my life. So don't tell me. But that, like, I'm just going to do that with everything I do. Every piece of content that I create, whether it's a story, a podcast, a TV show, a movie for the rest of my life, in the first 30 seconds, I'm going to say somebody died. And then I'm going to put out crap that you have to watch because somebody died. Because guess what? People die in real life. So it's I, I watched that. We watched the first season of that kind of right as it came out, I think. And they're coming out with the second season of it. Uh, that's in like a different location, I think. Or maybe it's already out. I don't know. But it's it is an interesting device because they tell you that and then you spend the whole show don't tell don't ruin anything i'm just gonna say but it's it's uh, no it's it's not i'm gonna tell you anything but it's like it, it's extension of what you're saying that you'll find out that it's by the way the show things are happening in the show you're thinking it's plausible that like any of these people could die and you also hope that any of them could die like you have reasons to like root for the death of basically every character on the show. I have done that. There was a show that I watched for a while and I reached the point where every episode I, w- I was hoping that every character on the show would be hit by an asteroid and the whole show would just vanish. And I was like, why am I still watching this when every week I root for everybody on it to die? So then I stopped watching it. So I might I, do that with White Lotus, except I'm being lured in by the fact that somebody does die. So I'm at least going to be satisfied by the death of one of these ridiculously annoying, spoiled J-hole people. So great show. All right. What am I eating? I ate one of my favorite things, one of the great inventions. And I think the, the main three things that if they had never been invented would greatly decrease my enjoyment in life. One is toilets. Oof. Love toilets. One is the internet. And one is the walking taco. Nothing better than a walking taco at a high school sporting event. You get the bag of Fritos or the bag of Doritos and you put the, the, put the chili in the bag little cheese, maybe little onions. And then guess what you do with that taco, Nathan? You walk. Also, I like to call them talking wacos. So I had a walking taco at a high school football game on Friday night. And ain't that America? You a fan of the walking taco? Sure. Yeah. And really, if you think about it, once they invented the walking talkie taco, if they hadn't already invented the toilet, that was going to come mm-hmm. right after pretty it. soon after. You know what I also like? I like the sitting taco. You know, I like to sit when I'm eating it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cut out the middleman. So I just I'm walking, <laughs> just walking around eating a walking taco. I don't know if I'm sure people have done it. I'm sure I could find a video on the Internet because you do it with the mini bags. But I am tempted. I also like the Fritos better than the Doritos. I'm tempted to do it with a full mm-hmm. family size bag of Fritos 
and dump a whole pot of chili in there. It's got to be Fritos. And like, I didn't grow up in a Frito chili family, but the chili, like when we make chili now, like you've got to have a layer of Fritos there. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, I, I don't know how we ever lived without it. I, I was pretty sure you were going to say, you know, when I, when I, when I grew up, you could get Fritos, but you couldn't get Doritos because the truck wouldn't come in from Decatur. <laughs> we never had Doritos. I didn't know what they were. Um, I love Doritos. I can, I can probably destroy a bag of Doritos at like just drop of a hat, like any sitting, like having just had another full meal, somebody gives me a bag of Doritos. I could be like, oh, yeah, all right. And I just crush it. But yeah. Fritos are clearly the better chili combination. Uh, other thing I'm eating, just a shout out. We're celebrating my daughter's birthday this weekend. Instead of a birthday cake with her friends, her friends are over at the house right now, hanging out. Instead of a birthday cake, she chose a giant vat of banana pudding in lieu of a cake. That's she's a superstar. That's really interesting. When I was young, so before like cookie dough ice cream became a thing, because again, we lived down the sticks. We didn't know there was cookie dough ice cream. All you could get was like vanilla and chocolate and Neapolitan or whatever at the local IGA. So, uh, but like when my mom would make cookie dough, you know, sometimes they give you like the spoon to lick when after they're done making cookies or whatever. So I asked one year for my birthday that in that I just wanted like a big thing, a cookie dough just to myself, like just make the cook the dough that you're going to make cookies with, but then don't let anybody don't make any cookies out of it. And then I just get to eat all that. dough. And was that, an, was that request accepted? Yeah. Yeah. And to this day, every birthday, Nathan Baird eats a vat of, cookies. I think that was the one and only time thing. Okay. Um, you know, we, we used to eat, I think back on the stuff, like the, the sugar loaded cereals and like all of the, like, like canned pasta stuff that we used to eat when I was a kid. It's just sugar on sugar on sugar. Like uh, my, my, my parents are great people. And I think they did a good job uh, instilling me with values and stuff, but like nutritionally made some questionable calls. I, uh, so I was diagnosed with, how old was I? 2005. I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was 32 after bathing in cupcakes my entire life. And after I got diagnosed, my parents were like, oh, yeah, everybody in our family has diabetes. Your great grandmother <laughs> went blind. And I was like, could you maybe have mentioned it before I ate all the cupcakes? So, you know, stuff happens. Um, yeah. All right. What do you got for what you're eating beyond? Uh, so um, ironically, coincidentally, my mom was here with us this past week to help care for the baby. And my sister came along and my sister always like bakes something when she comes. And this time she brought these, uh, these Paula Deen cookies. It's, it's interesting that we're talking about unhealthy eating uh, these Paula Deen cookies that I'm sure are just loaded with butter or whatever, but they're these amazing cookies. They're kind of like they're little cake cookies. Almost. I think they're called like ooey gooey cookies or something like that, but she made like some chocolate ones and some, some lemon ones. And they have, um, uh, cream cheese involved with them and they are spectacular. And uh, I don't know how we somehow when they left on Friday, there were still cookies left, which was the upset of the week. They'd been here a whole week and we hadn't just eaten all the cookies by Wednesday. Somehow we got them to last until Friday. Nice. Good. See, look at you. You learned, right? You gorged on the cookie dough as a child. And now as an adult, you have restraint when it comes to cookie eating. In a lot of ways, like and like when we make ice cream and stuff too, like I have sort of like evolved to where like well, let's just have a little dish of ice cream because then we get to have more nights of ice cream before we have to make more ice cream. Yeah, I like it. All right, what are you thinking about? This is a new addition to what you're watching, what you eat, and what you're thinking. This is just our opportunity to share something that's on our mind. 
I think preferably non-college football related, you know, I, you know, I, I hope the only thing we don't, it's not just like I'm thinking about NIL or I'm thinking about how coaches make a lot of money, anything in the entire world, sports, life, parents, not politics, not politics, anything else. So I hope this isn't like too nebulous or whatever uh, of a topic, but it, it came up again this week, my, my mom and, and sister here. And I was thinking of a childhood memory that has basically like no real consequence yet. You will like never forget it. And I was, it was, it came up because we were, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I was thinking back to this day. It was just like a normal, like midweek, uh, early evening, get my mom's like in making dinner and, uh, sitting around the house. And we, all of a sudden you just hear this loud, like, Bang! and go in the hallway. And my brother had taken like a car key and stuck it in electrical outlet. <laughs> what was the sound? Him? It was the sound that it makes when, like, you take a piece of metal and stick it into an electric current in the in the outlet. And it uh, he was physically fine, but it scared the crap out of him, obviously. And then for years afterward, because then we ended up moving down the street to another house, there was just a big black mark in the middle of that electrical outlet from where my brother decided to be like a um, uh, the next Ben Franklin and try this little electrical experiment in the hallway. And so like, I bring that up like every couple of years, like we'll be like, I, I remember telling my wife about it for the first time um, not that long ago and just being like, yeah, this, this happened in like, um, but like there were no consequences other than I guess the black mark on the thing. And it like scared my brother. But like, I think about that happening like multiple times a year. And I can't tell you why, like there's, there were probably like important things, like important conversations I've had with people I care about that. I will never, like I've already completely forgotten them, but like something as dumb as that, it's just, it's, it's etched in your brain. Maybe that'll happen on white Lotus. Maybe I want every character to stick a key in an electrical socket. Um, that's a great, no, that's life, right? I, someone told, uh, I was reading something one time. It's like when people, when you lose people in a lot in your lives or you lose connections with people, you lose part of your memories because everybody stores memories for other people, right? That sometimes you forget something that somebody else remembers. And it's like, someone will say, remember that time we talked about this? And you'll be like, I don't remember that at all. But they're like, they're the storage of that memory for mm -hmm. you. So it's funny when it's like, you remember inane things and then someone else remembers a different inane thing. And then you get back together and talk and it's like, oh yeah, you get a chunk of your old life back. So um, I like inane memories. We should do that. Like inane memory of the week. We can have our tech. That would be a funny, I bet you we would get like some funny texts. 614-350-3315. Like what's the most random thing you remember from your life? That's like a kind of a weird, crazy thing. All right. The thing that I'm thinking about is, I think a lot of people probably watched it. I do like tennis. So to watch the end of Serena Williams's career um, was it was a spectacular match the other night. And two things. One is life is better as a sports fan when there's a great American tennis player. And when I was in high school and Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi and Jim Currier and Michael Chang were all really good and were like the like the best male tennis players in the world were Americans. It was awesome. I loved it. And then we haven't had a good American 
male tennis player since Andy Roddick, but it didn't matter because we had Venus and Serena. And every time you watched a Grand Slam tennis event, there was somebody from the United States of America who was involved because the Williams were there. And now Venus is, is done and Serena's going to be done. And like, we don't have anybody. And it's not as fun. And I love Rafael Nadal. And I really like Naomi Osaka. And I, there are other people, you know, I'm not trying to be um, only pro USA, but it's kind of like the Olympics. It's like, you're allowed to root for your country. So I hope Coco Goff won on Sunday. And I hope she makes a run because I really, really like having an American tennis player that matters. So I, I hope that continues because for two decades, Serena took care of it. And it didn't matter if the men, American men can't get out of their own way. Right. And again, Nadal, Federer and Djokovic have a lot to do with that. But I, I really hope somebody fills the gap. And the other thing is, as a father of two daughters, sister stuff gets me. So like Anna and Elsa, the frozen stuff is just like, what? Are you kidding me? But Venus and Serena are like that. So like Serena as the younger sister saying, I wouldn't be me if my older sister wasn't me. I'm just like, and my older daughter's going off to college. And I'm like, just like, that's how you guys are. Be like them. So gosh, I love sister stuff. So those are the two. It's like my daughter, just like, you know, take what you want from Anna and Elsa in the Frozen thing. And take what you want from Venus and Serena. Because like, I like those sisters. I like how they I like how they support each other. I like how they compete with each other, how they complement each other, how they're similar in some ways, but different in some ways. So let me join the chorus of a, of a million saying uh, Serena Williams is one of the greatest athletes of my lifetime. And I certainly will miss her uh, watching her compete because she's awesome. Okay. That's going to be our Monday pod. That's kind of what it's going to be like. Ohio State, national scene what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. We'll be back on Wednesday with my rants and thoughts with the texters. That's how we're going to do this. Then we'll get back on Thursday with probably some rapid fire. It's Arkansas State Week. And then again, the Fridays, we're going to have a game preview pod and a gambling pod with T-Shoe. So we're up to six Buckeye talks a week. But that's the, po- the post-game pod means we have to have an empty day in the middle of the week or we're going to drive ourselves nuts. So that empty day is going to be Tuesday unless that pod goes up really late Tuesday night, but I think almost all the time it'll be Wednesday morning. So it'll be Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, double dip, Saturday post game. That is the in-season schedule for this year. We love you guys for listening. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.